0: Get eighty percent off your impression kit when you use code Wondery at byte dot com. That's b y t e dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Previously on the Mike Wise Show, when LeBron came in and everything started to blow up, who's he got? You know, Rondo, Kuzma, so Michael, Michael was, Beasley, Michael Beasley. It was not, and he had an inexperience he had inexperienced general manager. You know, Rob Palinka. Uh, He he had Irvin, who probably wasn't completely invested in it. So it was a completely different structure. So so you could say, yes, I mean, definitely LeBron factor with all that brought injury, intrigue, mystery, bringing in his own guys, but other team structure that might have been able to exist. But I mean, on this, the way the Lakers are currently, I mean, the most mature guy on the team is, you know, Lonzo Ball, sort of, you know.
1: <laughs> LeVar Ball should coach. I'm calling it right now. All right. Today on the show, Amin hassan ESPN analyst, talking head, writer, former front office executive, and somebody I really like and respect. He's going to talk to you about Katie, Kyrie, everything in between, and yes, whether I do a good Yoda in Star Wars. Darlene, take it away! The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.
2: The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right,
1: Mike? You are always right, Darlene. And today you really are. Amin El Hassan, a guy whose wise-ass skills rival my own. In fact, he'd be a starter on the all-wise-ass team. He joins us today. Welcome to the Mike Wise Show. My guest today, Amin El Hassan. I know per, people pronou- mispronounce your name all the time, my friend? It, it, did I say it right?
2: You did. You did, Mike.
1: All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I, I can't say that. Me and you have done many things socially except, you know, have some food at the Marriott over the All-Star break. Um, I want to know uh, personally, um, wh- how long have you been at ESPN? Oh, I'm, I'm wrapping up, I believe, my seventh season with, with
2: ESPN, making it the longest job I've ever held in my life, which is kind of a sobering, sobering realization that I, I came to about a couple of weeks ago.
1: You work for David Griffin in Phoenix, correct? That is correct. Yes. And now he just became the Pelicans general manager. Is that um I mean it seems like almost a, you can you can't get any lower than they've gotten. You're almost going from the ground up. Like like what does he do with the Anthony Davis situation? I have no idea.
2: Well, Griffin's walking in there and and Griffin's Griffin's an optimist. He's always kind of Trying to you know look at things from a positive point of view, and uh, one of the things I, you know, and I haven't spoken to him. I basically just congratulated him since he got the job, but I really haven't had any conversation with him in depth as far as what he plans to do. But his public remarks are, we'll hold the phone. You know, let's not just assume that Anthony Davis wants out. and, and it makes sense if you think about it. And what Anthony Davis wanted to be out from under was an organization that was poorly run, uh, with not a lot of structure or vision. And so if all of his issues were with that organization, David Griffin can rightfully say, we all, all the people responsible for that are gone. You know, I'm not saying, oh, it's a a wrap, Andy Davis is going to stay in New Orleans, but this gives them a fighting chance of at least convincing him to try and
1: stay. So this is, this is news. You think AD will stay in, in New Orleans. This has a great, like they've done some of the right things to put the right people around him. To, to, make, uh, to make him feel like this is an organization that has a shot to contend um, within, I don't know, two years or so in a West, that's going to be all kinds of, uh, there's gonna be so many changes and, and, the, and the thing's gonna be, the clock will be reset in the NBA once KD leaves uh, Golden State, which I believe he will.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I just, I think Griff gives them a chance, as whereas almost any other person going into that role would not have had a chance okay um and and, and again that, that goes not only because Griff is obviously with a proven track record of success but also because again because of that relationship that he has with Rich Paul you know where it could have been anyone else and Rich Paul says yeah thanks but no thanks but because it's Griff he it says okay
1: we're willing to listen would he consider hiring both me and you at like a million plus is like sort yeah. of I don't know. We could just we could just be like we could be his his bo- his bouncers or his bodyguards or something.
2: I don't I don't know if they have the budget for it.
1: <laughs> you're, you're probably right. Um but I'm talking my guest is Amin Al Hassan, the man from Sudan. Um everybody knows him from his ESPN gigs. Um he's uh I, I guess I have a peripheral friendship with him because we haven't gotten to know each other that great, but what I have known about him is that he's a guy with integrity and he's is his nba serious show on xm with rick mahorn who's the other guys you guys do it with well the uh the sunday
2: show that i do is with jason jackson that's the more that's regular right. one yeah sunday's 10 to 1 eastern but uh during the week you know uh, they usually like to mix and match because sometimes it's rick mahorn sometimes it's tony daniels oh, that's right sometimes zach harper uh you know I, I i've worked with a lot of great people over there too like tim legler uh so you know it, we, we get a, a nice little mix of of voices there for that midday show
1: what i like about it is that you're, you're you actually go out there and and get into a guy's head and actually get into what he's thinking as opposed to everybody else playing amateur psychologists from a place that i don't think is is of the mindset of a lot of players like for instance kyrie um everybody's like I, I no idea what this guy's gonna do. He's got a little diva in him. What what you know. I, I look at it as Kyrie wants a challenge and, and and if he doesn't feel like he's going to get that challenge in Boston, he's gonna look elsewhere. Your thoughts on what's gonna happen with Kyrie Irving in the off season. Yeah,
2: I think, you know, he's a very mercurial person. Uh he strikes me as someone whose mind changes and that's you know, from an intellectual curiosity standpoint that's understandable that the idea that status quo can be something of a of a confined space for him and so he's all like he's a constantly looking for new challenges but the other thing also is I think he's a guy who doesn't quite weigh exactly how things are going to be before he makes a decision and case in point He's pining to leave Cleveland. He's pining to get out of LeBron's shadow. He gets to all he wants in Boston, and he realizes this ain't all it's cracked up to be, And to the point where he tells us he calls LeBron and apologizes for the way he behaved and the way he resisted kind of mentorship and leadership from an older veteran player who had championship experience. Um, and, and so now it feels like he might be pining for something else that Boston does not provide. Uh, and I wonder if he's gonna get there and get what he's pining for and then realize that's not all that it's cracked up to be.
1: Yeah, he he seems like a guy who's sort of, um, well, he reminds myself when I was younger, like i you always think like you you can pull a geographic and your life is gonna be better. You can find a different job, a different woman, uh, a different a different place to live in this country or this world. And all of a sudden you're gonna be happier. And you know what, you're still stuck with you. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, that's what yeah. i found anyway you you know you know that, that at some point very you accurate. have to real, realize that you're still stuck with you and if and if you're not happy with that guy you ain't going to be happy anywhere
2: that's very accurate that's, that's that's the best way i can put it when talking about Kyrie Irving at at some point he's got to realize he's still stuck with himself
1: yeah and which is not a bad thing to do when he's you know when he's when he's going through his legs 18 times and using the whole court as pylons on his way to the hoop. But yeah, when he, he sort of, I, I don't get it, man. Like I, I keep thinking like even KD, I like Kevin Durant. I go, why mess with happy? Why mess with happy? But maybe Golden State is not happy right now. He and Draymond, you know, do not get along. And they, you know, they, they made that public and you could see KD uh, in his body language, almost that, um, that, This is going to be a nice last run, but this is going to be it for him. um, Is there any way he stays with the Warriors? Yeah, I mean,
2: I think I don't think it's a Draymond thing. I think I think he's unhappy with the situation in general. He's unhappy with the coaches, you know, unhappy with his, you know, with with the organization and the organization, rightfully so, says. We win every year. Uh, We play the most the least the most unselfish style of basketball there is. If you have a problem with being here then you know that's that's not something that we're going to compromise ourselves to accommodate for uh in the in the great words of the movie uh, American Gangster your success took a shot at you what are you gonna do you're gonna be unsuccessful now like that that's what's gonna like save you and so what Kevin Durant seeks is something that's not provided in Golden State which is it's the challenge of being bad and and being needed in a way that he, you know through no fault of his own they don't really need him like that in Golden State because they are so uh, so so uh, already pre-packaged and all, so potent and and uh, and you know and dominant right
1: yeah and, and they don't care the the, the the great thing about them is they li- I in the in the time that I spent around Clay Steph. Um, shoot any one of their players, you know, Draymond's a little moody, but he gives them that edge. I I just feel like Steve Kerr's whole thing is I don't care. You could shoot 11 threes from behind the arc and miss everyone. I'm still going to keep you in there as long as they're good shots and you still move the ball and find the open man. It's such, it's like the sublime choreography of teamwork has been brought back to the league and and you don't want to be a part of that. I yeah, I just don't get that. Right. But but, but right. I'm not I'm not KD and I'm not KD and I'm not seeing the, you know I'm not seeing as few shots sometimes as probably he is in an offense that, but you know can can find anyone. It. It's not
2: it. it's 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 not any of that. I think he, he I think he definitely there's an element of him that measures his life against what LeBron James is accomplishing. And there are a lot of parallels between him and LeBron's career. And mm. I think he looks at the hero's welcome that even though the series season didn't turn out the way LeBron hoped, he looked at the hero's welcome he got going to LA and, quote unquote, being part of the effort to rescue that franchise. And I think he sees the parallel of doing the same thing in New York. And, and then outside of the court, this idea of creating a business profile off the court that is looked at by the titans of industry as. Something that people want to be in business with. I think those are the things that appeal to him. Um, and and like much like his good friend Kyrie Irving, I don't think he realizes that there's a downside to some of that stuff. There's a downside to going to New York, for instance, and being the quote unquote man, and uh, and having business interests off the court. And that downside is called the New York media. They're, they're not, <laughs> not, they don't look. They don't tend to look kindly yeah. on you. You know. Spreading your wings out the court, if on the court you want not stellar as a team. Yeah,
1: it's so true. Having been part of that world for ten years, um, in the '90s, I uh, and, and the early 2000s, I, I I hear you. I wonder if, shoot, I, I just like like the one thing that New York does, if anything, it finds you out. It finds you out to be a solid guy. Yeah. It finds you out to be a fraud. It finds everything. Like Don Nelson could get away with who he was everywhere in this country. Golden State, he could get away with it in Boston. He could get away with it in Dallas. When he came to New York, we found out who Don Nelson was, an opportunist who obviously one of the great offensive minds in the game, geniuses, but at no point um, did did I think Nelly was uh, all the things that people thought he was outside of uh, New York. and And hopefully yeah. – KD and Kyrie, you know, K- Katie and Kyrie realize Kyrie realized that before. It almost <laughs> sounds like an afterthought. We K-, K Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to be teammates with the Knicks. You're predicting that right now.
2: I, I think Kevin Durant's going to be a Nick. Uh, I think Kyrie Irving might be a Nick, or like I said, he changes his mind every single day. <laughs> it remains to be seen. But I think Kevin Durant absolutely is going to be a Nick, and I think he's in for a rude awakening. I think he thinks it's going to be. A, a wonderful experience, and you know? and I'm like I don't I don't know if you know a whole lot about the New York market, buddy. Like you're their savior, and they're gonna love you for three months. But unfortunately, no one plays basketball in those three months. <laughs>
0: right, right,
1: right, I uh I I would like it if he really followed LeBron's lead, sitting here in my North Chevy Chase um, home outside of D.C. It would be great if he went home and gave the Wizards a title. Now he won't because uh, Katie, uh, well. He's like my family. Like The farther away he lives from them, the more he loves them. And so there's no way he's going to come would, back to D.C.
2: And by the way, I, I would say that most NBA players are not attracted to the idea of playing for their hometown. Yeah, as, I think you're as, right, as, actually. Because they all see what happens when they go home. What ends up happening is you get 100 requests for tickets a game, every single game. And no one can understand that, hey – I don't have time to be worried about, did you get your tickets? Because that's what happens. They say, okay, don't worry. I'll talk to my guy. He'll get you in there. And then they show up, and for whatever reason, it's not at the roll call window, and they're calling you. They say, hey, where are my tickets? And all that. And like, These are things that don't want to worry about on a, on a regular basis. Uh, and so that's, a lot of guys don't really enjoy um, <laughs> that that part of playing at home.
1: The Mike Wise Show with me, Mike Wise, is one of four weekly shows from Pure Hoops Media. I have a new show every Monday with my all-star cast of guests. That includes Lakers owner Jeannie Buss, Jamal Crawford, PJ Carlissimo, Isaiah, Zeke Thomas, Bruce Bowen, and many others like, yes, Amin El Hassan. Each Wednesday, Noah Kozloff and Adam Stanko drop by with Catch and Shoot, which features their deep knowledge and sense of fun. Thursdays, we have our newest show, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt, one of the freshest voices in basketball. And on Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with three-time champ and player agent B.J. Armstrong and his sidekick, my friend, Eric Newman. So please listen, subscribe to all our shows, give us a review, and most of all, enjoy. My guest is Amin Al-Hassan, the ESPN shoot analyst, a writer, um, a talking head on whatever the NBA jump uh he was with lebatard i think this week i you know th- th- he's one of these guys like jack of all trades and actually a master of a few and one of the things i, I think he's a, uh, really good at is uh, just breaking down the mindset of of not just players but executives what if you're in a front office right now uh i mean what are you thinking about um demarcus cousins when you see when you see him go down, and he's going to be out for the rest of the postseason, this is a guy who basically went to the Warriors to for for almost nothing, given his value, to up his value, and and maybe he has. But I also think the injury is going to make people question his health and whether they want to take that gamble. Yeah,
2: no, I think that that's a very valid question. I actually, uh, my my uh, reaction. Was that, um, you know, if uh, upon the the injury originally happening, was that if I were Demarcus Cousins, I probably would have rather not played well all year long and finished it healthy, than going into free agency saying you can blame it on him, I'm just a little rusty. I'm getting my legs under me. I'm gonna be there. Don't don't you worry. Rather than playing as well as he did and then getting hurt because. You know, The indication here is that, look, his body is going to start to fail him because what ends up happening is when you hurt one part, um, other body parts start to overcompensate as you recover and you end up hurting something else because you are not maybe as, as balanced and as fully recovered as you think you are.
1: Um, when I, I can't remember, do you? I know you work out of LA a lot. Do you? Do you still go back and forth from Arizona to LA a lot? Yes, I do. Okay, so so Arizona is your full time home, correct? Yeah, Yep. And you are you are a, you're a graduate of Arizona State University. Did, you got your MBA, didn't you? Yeah, I, I got
2: my undergrad in management and marketing, a double major, and then I went and worked for the Knicks for a year, and then. Uh, came back and I got my graduate degree. I, I uh, yeah, so, you know, I basically um, what year were you uh, at? What year were you,
1: what year were you with the Knicks, pardon my ignorance? Oh, oh, four, oh five. That was the season I was there. Oh, God, I just missed you. I left for the Washington Post for a column job. I just missed you. And, yeah, you saw a lot of drama during that time, yeah. uh, you, some of which you can write about, some of which you can't. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I think of all the time you spend in L.A. on the shows out there. And I think you've obviously got a feeling about LeBron and what's right. it going to take how long and whether he can still be at his peak um, physically if not his peak at least have a lot of Hall of Fame le- left in him to deliver a championship to the Lakers before before that thing becomes you know a really bad move
2: yeah um, I uh, you know, the funny thing is having covered LeBron very extensively on a national level, um, mm-hmm. you know, through the playoffs and all that uh, kind of made me and a couple other people in L.A. kind of uniquely qualified to talk about him uh, on on a local level. And so one of those guys is George Sedano, who, of course, uh, you know, covered LeBron in Miami uh, when he was uh, doing local work in Miami. And now Sedano has a, a very successful drive time radio show for ESPN LA, and you know that was some of the stuff that me and him talked about at length before the season started about you know tempering expectations and uh, and how funny it was for Laker fans who live kind of a charmed life for the most part to be introduced to the LeBron James experience. So great example the the, <laughs> the passive aggressiveness and and all the the you know the the little the little things that he does. Um, you know whether it was when he was flirting with Kyrie, and then like trying to you know flirting with the idea of bringing Anthony Davis, and everyone's kind of kind of surprised. Or another even better example, the idea that LeBron James doesn't play defense during the regular season. It, it was amusing for us to say at the beginning of the year, you know, he's not going to be that good at defense, or, you know, because he rightfully so he usually conserves his energy for the playoffs. And then to see it actually happen and have all these people discover for the first time, even though he'd been doing it. Literally, since he was in Miami, he mm. discovered it for the first time. Like, Why well, do you, He's getting targeted on the defensive end and being lazy, and all these clips start coming out. And we're like, well, yeah, that's what we've been trying to tell you guys for years. But since it wasn't a local story for many of those fans, and many of in fact, many of those media people, it, w- it did come as a shock.
1: Uh, completely and it's sort of like what it comes with the package i mean part of the yeah the, uh, part of the lebron drama is it all comes with a package and and if you can deal with it great if not then you need to go somewhere else because he's yeah. not your this your isn't for team. you what's yeah, that? Yeah,
2: this isn't for you i said if you can't right. deal with him then this isn't for you and, and again you know I, I, not to say that the circumstances are exactly the same um, but this has been part of the experience for the better part of eight years, if not longer. And Everybody is found brilliant. a way to... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Right? Yeah. So like Miami and Cleveland, they. it's not like this is a new thing. This is part of the experience. And so, you know, you have to basically say, well, if you want all the good that comes along with having LeBron James as an employee, you kind of have to deal with all the other stuff that may not be as desirable. Yeah.
1: No, you're right. It's it's part part and parcel with LBJ. Uh, can you can you place much blame on the way Rich Paul and and I like Rich Paul. I'm I'm just going to throw it out there. I I think he's I, I think he's uh, much. Uh, people don't give him as much credit because LeBron. Uh, uh, he he wrote his coattails to greatness. Yeah, he did. But he also um, he also made a lot of himself. Do you think he made a, ca- a calculating uh, calculated error when he went out and basically said Anthony Davis isn't coming back, and you, you guys need to find a way to get something for him before the trading deadline? Because many people feel like that threw three franchises in disarray: Boston, the Lakers, and New Orleans. I don't know. I you know obviously there was something else going on with Magic Johnson for him to just resign over that. But your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think, first of all, I agree with you on Rich. I think people get a hard time, but that's the same of anyone who's coached LeBron James or anyone who's been the GM with LeBron James. People have a tendency to discounting anyone else's contributions to the cause. It's as if LeBron is answering phones and working people out and, and scouting and doing everything, right? <laughs> uh, rather than just playing basketball. And so Eric Spolstra, it's funny, Eric Spolstra got killed for not being a good coach, and then LeBron leaves, and everyone says, oh, wow, what a great coach Eric Spolstra is. Look at how, how well they're doing with very relatively little talent in Miami. And we'll say, well, yeah, that's what we're trying to tell you. He's a good coach. It's not just, hey, LeBron, here's the ball. Rescue yeah. us all. Um, so, you know, Rich Paul definitely suffers from that. You know, he, he doesn't just represent LeBron James. He represents John Wall, and he represents Anthony Davis, and he represents Ben Simmons. And he's got he's got an impressive roster. And, and if you think that an, a pro athlete, particularly an elite pro athlete, an NBA player, is going to sign up with an agent solely based on what he reps LeBron, then you haven't talked to many pro athletes because these people are incredibly egotistical and it's quite the opposite. (laughs) If you you represent (laughs) LeBron James, the first question I'm asking, well, do you have time for me? Because it (laughs) seems like you guys are making Space Jam and doing all these other things, but what about me? What what about my interests? What about my off-the-court stuff? What about my contract? Right? Uh... And so Rich Paul finds a way to answer that question pretty reliably and, and, and pretty convincingly enough to sign uh, clients and not not just superstar clients, but also middle-of-the-road clients like Kentavious Kend- Caldwell-Pope, also minimum-level clients like New Noel and, and, and others like that. So Rich Paul deserves a lot of credit. As far as what he did with Anthony Davis to New Orleans, I I would just say this. Would, would the Pelicans have rather found out on July 1, 2020 that he's not coming back? It, it, it always yeah. makes me chuckle when people uh, bristle at the notion of a player announcing to team management that they're not going to stay. You need to trade me, as if that makes the player a worse
1: person than
2: saying, you know, everything's oh. fine, everything's fine." And then one day I'm leaving you.
1: Oh no, I, I I I I don't have any problem with that. My problem is if you really feel that, and and, they, and it's a business in which deals are made, and you want to increase your value. If I, why wouldn't you just go? If you were Anthony Davis, why wouldn't you go to Dell Demps or whoever behind the scenes and say, um, "Hey, I, I'm not staying. I just want to let you know." And then you can tell ownership. You can meet, have ownership meet with me. I'm not staying, and, and I need to go. And you guys should get something for me. Why would you? I, I just don't understand why you would make that deal public. It almost just seem that's the part I don't yeah. understand because I think it, it 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 decreases your value. You become you become a person that um you know loses value right after that becomes public.
2: Yeah, I mean, as I understand it, there's more to the story than than just a return yeah, sure. and And a lot of it had to do with how that trade request, that respectful trade request, was handled by Dell Demps and Pelican's management. And it was not handled with the same humility and uh, respectfulness as it was presented. And so I think, although, uh, you know, obviously the only people who really know the answer to this are going to be Dell Demps and Rich Fall, but I think that was Rich Fall's way of saying, okay, this is the game you want to play. We can play this game. Hmm. All
1: right. I got a couple more minutes with Amin Al-Hassan uh, before he's got to catch a plane and get home. But my, um, you know, I didn't realize that you were born in Sudan. You were, you didn't leave there till you were about three years old. Is that correct?
2: No, I was actually born there and I, I left when I was four months old. I was a baby and uh, I moved to New York city and, uh, stayed there until I was eight. And then when I was eight, I moved back to Sudan uh, and lived there until I was 14 before I came back. And, wow, what a, uh, yeah, twice, 14, what, what a culture shock. Eight to 14. What a culture shock. Twice. I had a culture shock going and I had a culture shock coming back.
1: Yeah. I mean, it just do you um, do you speak fluent Arabic? Yeah. Yes, I do. And, and are, I you are you practicing? Are you practicing Muslim if, I, if that's not too personal?
2: Uh yeah, I I practice. I'm not very really good at it though. <laughs> so, you know, practice. I, I, I'm yeah. a practice I'm not, a, I'm not a gamer. I'm, I'm a practice player.
1: You're you're on the you're like the twelfth man on the Muslim team. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I yeah I feel that way on the uh, on the Christian or the Episcopalian team as well or the Unitarian church. But hey, the the reason I ask is because not that the NBA has looked down on uh, but but it's it's so. There's a there's such a strong strain of evangelical Christianity in the league, um, and I, I wonder after all the years that um, uh, the former Chris Jackson, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, and others have dealt with, including Craig Hodges, former Muslim, um, who yeah. uh, he feels blackballed after his years with the Bulls because of it. Do you do you, do you feel like the league or is is any more tolerant of these? of these things, or is it now, is it just covert um, in a way? It almost seems like they're accepting of a lot of religions, but, but not necessarily that one.
2: Well, I know I would say the league is, is very accepting. Um, I've I found, and I think this is some of the stuff that's come out with all the various kind of scandals that have happened across sports, is that people always say that the locker room and organizations are more tolerant, more accepting rather than regular society. Uh, particularly because there have been so many high-profile Muslims that uh, played in the league, uh, you know, guys like Hakeem Olajuwon and and uh, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and and then there are a lot of you know current rank-and-file players in the league who are Muslim, like uh Cantor, Ronde and ronde Cantor, uh, uh Rondé, canter, Jefferson, yep. uh, Kenneth Fareed. um and and of, and of course, I, I would be remiss if I did not mention that the president of the G League right now, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, uh, ah. former. Former NBA All Star and, yep. and and a uh, very and and a good a gamer of a Muslim, I would say he he doesn't <laughs> just practice; he's, he's out there getting in the game. So so yeah. you know, I, I, I my experience and the experience I think of players has been positive for the most part. And you think about most of the negative experiences that Muslims have had uh, in this league have probably been closer tied to public opinion and things of that nature. So whether it was uh, Craig Hodges going to the White House. And that was kind of the beginning of his bad ball because he, he, you know, he, that uh, was it President Bush, I believe, that he, he kind of brought up uh, certain uh, issues too, whether it was Mahmoud abdul Rouf deciding he didn't want to stand during the national anthem. Um, you know, that wasn't the locker room teammates, even coaches turning on those guys. That was America turning on those guys. And then the organizations kind of saying, hey, you know, you're good, but you're not that good enough for us to kind of. Deer the brunt of this kind of uh, attention
1: um, you know, Minel Hassan has been my guest I really appreciate him for the time and the thoughts I'm sure I'll get him another time on the podcast before I let you go my friend uh, and I probably buried the lead here you know you're a huge Star Wars guy did that just start for you when you when you got older and you came over here when you were 14 um, a- after your second tour of Sudan or did you actually experience it um, over there? Yeah, so
2: it started when I was a kid in New York. When you know we were going, when we were getting ready to know that we were moving back to Sudan, uh, my father had the genius idea of basically getting uh, a VCR and taping everything, taping every movie we could, because we could, you know, you know, when you get to Sudan, there was a very a dearth of entertainment options. This was pre-internet and satellite nice. technology was very expensive, not something we were going to have. So basically, we had state-run TV in Sudan, which was one channel. Um, and it was not a very good channel. A lot of propaganda, uh, a lot of, you know, boring programming. So we had this DCR mm-hmm. and we had tapes of every, everything, you know. So uh, Star Wars is one of those movies, you know. And, you know, I was uh, – I Return of the Jedi was the first movie I saw – or the first Star Wars movie I saw in the theater, but I had a copy of Star Wars that I watched religiously uh, over and over and over again. And the funny thing is um, – because the you know this is again pre-dvr it came on and we had we weren't ready and so i actually the tape starts in the cantina and most nicely where han solo is greeted <laughs> shoot greedo, you know uh you know over the bounty or whatever you don't even and see the so start me, of it for me to this day i mean i've seen the start of it a, a bunch of times but to this day if it's on when i watch the beginning of the movie it feels like i'm watching a new movie 'Cause that stuff is so new to oh, me compared to the zillions of times I've watched everything from most I on.
1: That's that is so good. That's so good. Tell me I, cause my kids and I have really my kids have just gotten into it. My eight year old, my four year old sons, they're just like nuts about it. Tell me if tell me if this is good or not, and you could be honest. Mm, take your turn, my real you see, I you know, master.
2: I would say that much like I am a practicing Muslim who's on the practice team, you are a practicing Star Wars fan. Oh, <laughs> You're a practicing yoga
1: Yoda uh, impersonator. Okay. All right, all right, wait, <laughs> just one more. Just one more, just one more, right. just one more. <clears throat> Obi-Wan never told you who your father was. Search your feelings, you know it to be true. Join me and together we can move the galaxy as father and son. Yeah, that's on the better practice than the, side. Yeah. Surprisingly
2: better than your Yoda. Uh, yeah, got to work on on the on the terminology though. Obi Wan never told you what happened to your father.
1: Oh God! I, mean, I knew he, you were gonna told, get me on that
2: one. He told me that you killed him. He said, "No, I am your father." And then that's when Luke goes nuts and screams his now iconic
0: "No!" Oh, no! <laughs>
1: I told you we buried the lead. All right. Next podcast, me and you, Star Wars for 30 minutes and then five minutes for NBA.
2: There you go. That'll work.
1: All right. Uh, Peace, my man. Uh, Really good to hear from you. And, and yeah, safe travels. I I hope to catch up with you in person soon. Definitely. Thanks a lot, Mike.
2: All right. Let's go. Time to stick the landing.
1: That is a wrap this week. Thank you, Amino Hassan. Thank you, Bruce Bernstein, Jeff Torini, for all your work on the Mike Wise Show. And gosh, if I don't mention the Pure Hoops Media's other shows, I'm not doing my job. That's Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko each Wednesday. Thursday, we got Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt, one of the freshest voices in basketball. And on Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with three-time champ and player agent B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. So please listen, subscribe to all our shows, give us a review, and most of all, enjoy. And gosh, I'll see you next week. And guess what? Obi-Wan never told you who your father was. The Mike Wise Show
0: used
2: to be called The Wiseass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.